1: Hello, and welcome to Happier, a podcast where we talk about how to be happier. This week, we'll talk about why we are refraining from complaining for this month, mostly for our complaint-free April, and we will interview writer, producer, mm-hmm. and reality TV superstar Niall DeMarco about his terrific new memoir, Deaf Utopia, a memoir and a love letter to a way of life. I'm Gretchen Rubin, a writer who studies happiness, good habits, and human nature. Once again, I am right back in my little home office here in New York City. And joining me today from L.A. is my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. And Elizabeth, I never complain about you, but I often will complain to you. <laughs> That's me, Elizabeth Kraft, a TV writer and producer living in L.A. And yes, yeah, Scratch, we do a lot of complaining to each other, so less to talk about this month. Yeah. Now, a couple things before we dive in. Uh, tomorrow is the last day that you can vote for the Webby Award, which I know everybody's just like on the edge of their seat. I'm sure you've already <laughs> voted or you're dying to vote. A huge thrill and honor the Happier app, which I've been very involved in creating with a, a, just this a brilliant team. The Happier app has been dominated for a Webby Award. And so I will post the link. If you are inclined to vote, that would be wonderful. Or you can go to happiercast.com webbies That's W-E-B-B-Y-S. It's very quick and easy to vote. And a lot of people have already voted. And so huge gold stars, as they say, vote early and often.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, Gretch, I already voted. So I'll take one of those but gold you're, stars. You're, I can count on you, Elizabeth. <laughs> I know that. And then on the subject of dogs and getting dogs, which, of course, has been a major theme for Elizabeth uh, over the last yes. several months, we got an interesting email from Sonia. Yes. Yeah, she says,
0: In contrast to the joy that the Kraft Reuben dogs have brought to their owners, taking ownership of our fluffy bundle of puppy has been a stressful experience that is, dare I say it, tinged with regret. I hasten to add that our puppy is very sweet and full of love, but he's still a puppy who cries at night, poops on the rug, chews shoes, and has generally brought stress and chaos into a previously semi-calm household. I may have begged my husband to let me take the puppy back on more than one occasion. Through this experience, I found out that the puppy blues is a thing. This is where new puppy owners become very down when the true upheaval and time commitment of having a puppy hits home. This isn't everyone's experience of having a puppy, but I thought it was worth bringing to your attention for the sake of people who do get a puppy and then wonder if there's something wrong with them because they find owning a puppy way more difficult and not nearly as much fun as it is commonly presented." I've been told puppies turn into dogs and it all gets easier, so I'm looking forward to that day. Grudge. I happened to work with someone who experienced the puppy blues, but I can report that he's now totally in love with his dog and it all worked out.
1: And was it just that, like it's that puppy energy and they sort of outgrow it and calm down and get trained and things get easier? Is that...
0: And I think it's adjusting to what she's saying, which is the upheaval. The person I know is a single guy who had total freedom, and then suddenly you have to get home. You have to worry about letting the dog out and getting up in the morning, and it's a big lifestyle change.
1: So I think just adjusting Mm -hmm. to that change is very helpful. Well, I'm really glad Sonia wrote in because I do think that sometimes— When we don't have the experience that we expect to have or that other people sort of expect us to have, we can really feel like there's something wrong with us or it can feel very unsettling. And so it's very good to remember that if you're going through something, it's probably likely that a lot of people have gone through it, too. And maybe you should ask for help or ask to hear other people's experiences. But we talk about all the time, no tool fits every hand. People don't necessarily have the same experience. So I thought it was really good that Sonia wrote in to just, I mean, I didn't even know that was a phrase, puppy blues. But of course, it turns out this is like a whole thing people talk about. So so good to remember that. And then also we got a, a fun email in response to our episode 352. From Hannah. Yeah, she
0: says, I don't remember when you shared this, but at some point you mentioned playing a harmonica as a method for attracting a group's attention. I recently transferred from a middle school library into one at an elementary school. Crowd control at the middle school was definitely iffy. Even my husband's tips from when he was at boot camp didn't work. (laughs) And I knew I'd face equal challenges at the elementary level. Coming in mid-year and trying to learn 200-plus new names and matching those names to masked faces was and is intense. I didn't want to raise my voice at the kids. I've noticed the most successful educators never seem to yell. So I decided to try out your harmonica tip. It is a game-changer. I have a 100% success rate with the harmonica. The kids find it amusing and unusual enough to grab their attention." Thanks for the tip. It saved my voice and my sanity. I just got, yay. Yay. I got the biggest
1: sense of, ex- you know, it's like the tool, it's here, it's easy. Because yes. when I was in that, yes. that when somebody used it to me and I was in the crowd that fell silent, I was like, wow, this this really works They're like, like magic. Yeah. So anyway. Yes. Yeah.
0: And we love librarians. And we love librarians. So thank yes. you, Hannah. Yes, so
1: good. Yes. Yeah. I think we talked about it in our Proverbs of the Professions for Teachers that as she says, the, the most gifted educators don't yell. They have other ways of yes. getting people to be quiet, which feels like magic. So I'm so excited that that proved useful. So now this week's tried This At Home tip is to keep refraining from complaining. And boy, yes. We have been surprised by how much people have responded to the idea of going complaint free, which we talked about in episode 371. Our guest Katherine Schultz had suggested this idea, we decided to try it and we're in the thick of it Elizabeth now. We're in the yes. mid-April, we're fighting the fight. Yes. Yeah, it's a lot. Yeah, it's a big undertaking. And I will say Gretchen, we have found some workarounds yeah, yes. So, yes and you put this you put this very elegantly elizabeth we were talking to each other you, yes you, you, you framed this not really a loophole but it is <laughs>
0: it's sort of yes no i was talking to you about something and i said and by the way this is not complaining this is me explaining yeah. i was talking about a work thing i had to do and, you know, another person might have said it was complaining, but I told you I'm not complaining, I'm explaining. Yes, yes. And so you then found yourself using that. <laughs> I yes. jumped right on that. I think
1: it is a yes. slippery slope at times.
0: Yes, it is. Yeah. Now, Gretchen, I can't remember if I told you I am doing a thing where I try to write down
1: like a hashtag whenever. Okay, I wait. Can I just say complain? for people who listen to Happier, not a hashtag, a hash? Because you said that said in Happier in Hollywood, and I was so puzzled. I'm like, why is she doing all these hashtags? And I'm like, oh, she means hash marks. Yeah. So you're just keeping a, t- a hash. You're writing it. You're keeping a tally yeah, score. A tally. Yeah. Okay.
0: Yes, okay. yes. Okay. A hash mark. Whoops. Okay. <laughs> so I am trying to keep a hash mark when I complain. I think I'm up to at least a dozen at this point. And then the idea is that I'll give to charity at the end of That's April so based on my number of hash marks. So I am one good thing I did is I announced to everyone I work with on Zoom that I'm doing this. So they can call me on it because work is a major area where I complain, whether not necessarily even about work, it's just you're with people. So you're talking and then complaints come up. So I can sometimes just stop myself or have it pointed out to me that I need to make a hash mark.
1: I am finding it very challenging just to remember, like I put up a post-it, I started wearing a hairband around my wrist because of some, some suggestions that listeners made, which we will get to in a minute. But I feel like I'm, my struggle is really to keep it uppermost in my mind. So I'm, I'm mm-hmm. trying to amp, amp up my just keeping it, just remembering to do it. That's the thing, Gretch. I probably made dozens of complaints and not
0: even realize yeah. it in the moment. Like, it just because it is hard to keep up in your mind. I do have a Post-it on my laptop, which is helpful. Yeah, I put one on my desktop. Because I often have my laptop in front of yeah. me.
1: I realized that I have grudges. Which I would say are mm. co- complaints from the past that I revisit. So it's not a it's not a contemporary uh, complaint. Yes. It's like thinking about a complaint from the past, which seems not to be a good idea. So I'm working on the grudges or just reflecting on grudges or talking about grudges.
0: Yes, Gretchen. I realize that Sarah and I often are complaining about things from like 10 years ago. (laughs) Someone will bring something up and we'll say, well, that reminds me of when we got fired from this job. And did we tell you how unfair that was and what happened? We'll kick into that at the drop of a hat. So that is helpful because there's no reason to do that. It doesn't bring about good energy.
1: It's old news. Who cares? So in that sense, it's helpful. So we heard from a lot of listeners, some who just were very eager to join in. Herbert wrote, I'm going to do this. I'm hoping it will turn into a lifetime habit. I have health issues and complain a lot. So that's somebody just being like, mm. okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to commit. Catherine said, just wanted to
0: say my husband and I are both excited for complaint-free April, but with a twist. I'm a questioner-tipped rebel, and he is a rebel-tipped questioner, so we are planning to monitor how often we complain rather than limit Ah. ourselves. I downloaded a tally counter app on my phone. Oh, I should get that. And we are going to record whenever one of us complains, collaboratively, not in competition. Of course, we had a long conversation about what counts, so typical, and I also wanted to do a little predicting in advance since Since I'm mostly just curious if we complain more or less than we think we do. Might be a useful strategy for other folks who are not inclined to limit things.
1: Thanks for a fun challenge. I think this is a great, this is a brilliant example of people leaning into their tendencies and shaping a challenge in a way that makes it right for them. And I think monitoring is is hugely valuable. So um, I, I love this. I love this combo of using the four tendencies and going complaint free. Nikki writes, I love the idea of a complaint free month. I enjoyed thinking about what constitutes complaining. This is a surprisingly interesting question. The following questions are helpful for me when deciding whether to speak, and I thought they might help listeners who are joining the challenge Is it nice? Is it necessary? Is it true? I think. That's a, really good, that's a really good test.
0: Many people recommended the book, A Complaint-Free World, How to Stop Complaining
1: and Start Enjoying the Life You Want by Will Bowen. Yeah, we got several people recommending that. For instance, David wrote, I did the 21-day challenge from A Complaint-Free World several years ago, and it changed my life. They sell a purple bracelet like the yellow Livestrong ones that Lance Armstrong used to have, and you put it on your wrist. Every time you complain, you switch the bracelet to the other wrist. The bracelet does an excellent job of keeping complaints top of mind. Drastically reducing the amount of complaining I was doing really improved my life. I do not miss that negativity. Here's a tip. The bracelets do not make very good gifts, especially for family members. Yeah, I guess that would that would be seen as a pretty pretty strong hint. Yes. Okay, good safety tip yes. uh, there, David. It's like giving someone a vacuum yeah, cleaner. Yeah, right,
0: not appreciated. Or, dare I say, a petting. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, Gretch. Zarina says, whenever I have a habit that I want to remember, I often associate it with a color or an object. For example, the color magenta looks elegant for me, so I connect it with good posture. If I catch myself slouching, I just think of magenta, and ta-da, I adjust my Posture accordingly. Maybe I can associate complain free with butterfly, where all my complaints will be locked inside the cocoon. Having a butterfly keychain can also help a lot in remembering the habit I am establishing. Well, I love this idea, yeah. Gretch. This is like an aha yeah,
1: idea. Yeah, tying together personal symbol. Brandy wrote, I was listening to your podcast, 371, and the suggestion of a complaint-free month. Elizabeth commented about her usual complaint about LA traffic. I have spent the last three years in a long-distance relationship with my fiancé due to current work projects keeping us in different cities. I regularly make the 600-mile drive in a single day, and part of this trip takes me past LA. I would often complain about traffic, not just there, but in several areas. I found myself very stressed and annoyed by the time I finally got to my fiancé in the evening." I heard a suggestion last year which has drastically changed my view of traffic. Next time you find yourself in traffic and ready to complain, remind yourself that you are traffic. You are adding to the traffic, (laughs) and someone in the car next to you is probably also complaining about traffic, and by that, they are also complaining about you. Now, when I get into traffic, I say, I am traffic, and the stress of all the extra people on the road, the slowdowns, et cetera, goes away, and I instead focus on my music or podcast and allow the traffic to flow as it will, and I will move on when I can. I love this idea. You know, we are the traffic. Absolutely.
0: Yes, I am the traffic. And finally, Gretch, Rebecca says, within months of being married, I heard about a challenge from a coworker to not complain about my husband. I took up the challenge and have been following it for the almost 17 years we've been married. I've made some interesting observations over the years. One, it brings to my attention when others are complaining about their husbands. Two, if I am in a conversation with one or many and the other person is complaining about their husband, they expect that I will too. When I don't, I get a very negative response. I've had negative facial expressions, people shift around uncomfortably, and some people simply stop talking to me. It seems like this would apply to other topics of complaint also, but I've yet to intentionally try it. There is definitely social pressure to complain. I feel that over the years, this habit of not complaining about my husband has contributed to our relationship. Now, that being said, I have not made such a pact with myself for other topics of
1: complaint. This challenge is a perfect opportunity to expand. Well, this is fascinating because it suggests that there is this like, this social purpose of complaining, which like you said, it's probably like gossip and talking about people. There yes. is a way that it brings us together. So. That's, that's interesting.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to
1: pay attention to that for this complaint free month I hadn't really thought about that aspect of it. But especially, listed in your social situation, in your work situation, I'd be curious to hear if you think. Though it sounds like maybe you're delegating complaining to Sarah a little bit.
0: Yeah, Sarah has not opted for a complaint-free month. So she said, I will complain for both of us.
1: <laughs> I, and here's a final line that I've been thinking about from Thomas Merton. He wrote that those who are not grateful soon begin to complain of everything. I thought that was a good thought. Mm-hmm. So let us know if you do try this at home and how going complaint-free is working out for you. Refrain from complaining for the rest of the month. Let us know. And twitter facebook instagram drop us an email at podcast at gretchenruby.com or as always you can go to the show notes this is happiercast.com slash 374 coming up a health hack but first this break
0: Okay, Gretch, it's time
1: for a happiness hack, and this is something you discovered recently at the doctor. Yeah, So, and I think this is a good hack anytime there's something happening on your skin. So I mentioned, I think, a couple episodes ago that Jamie was really sick, and one of the things he had was he had sort of um, a swelling in his neck, And when you have something like that, it's like, is it getting bigger? Is it getting smaller? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? And I think a lot of times, sometimes maybe you get scared and you think it's getting worse. Or maybe you're like me and Jamie, where we tend to be like, oh, it's getting better. But because we just project what we want to see. (laughs) And the doctor said, when you get home, get a Sharpie and mark it on his neck and then don't wash it off. And so over the next day or two, you can see if it's getting bigger or smaller this was actually really, really helpful because I also took photographs, but it's hard, I find. Yes. To, like, the light doesn't match. He's got chest hair. Like, it was it was yeah. helpful, but it was a little bit tricky. But having the photos and the kind of the mark on the skin, that felt much more reliable. And I can think of a lot of things where I've had, like, a rash on my arm where I'm like, is it getting better? Yeah. Is it getting worse? And it was just one of these things where it was so simple and so obvious, yes. and yet it had never occurred to me to yes. just mark it off. And then it really gave us a lot of comfort because we could say, I could say to Jamie, I can tell that it really is better because I yeah. could see
0: it. Yeah. And then if it was worse, you would have yes. known to go back to the yes. doctor. Yeah. So that, yeah, that's a great Yeah, tip. it was just, it was so that.
1: simple. And yet, yeah, it really gave us a lot more confidence. So Sharpies, Sharpies come in handy in so many ways. <laughs> <laughs> yes, true. And now for an interview. We are so happy to get a chance to interview Niall DeMarco. Niall DeMarco is an actor, producer, advocate, and writer. He won both America's Next Top Model. And Dancing with the Stars. He recently was executive producer of the award-winning docuseries Deaf You, which follows the lives of a tight-knit group of deaf and hard-of-hearing students of all different races, classes, and sexualities attending Washington, D.C.'s famous Gallaudet University. And he was executive producer of the short
0: documentary film Audible, which was nominated for an Oscar for Best Documentary Short. It follows a Maryland school for the deaf football player and his teammates and friends as they navigate their senior year of high school and start to grapple with the reality of what comes next. And now he has written a memoir, Deaf Utopia, a memoir and a love letter to a way of life.
1: And here's a description of the book. Before becoming the actor, producer, advocate and model that people know today, Niall DeMarco was half of a pair of deaf twins born to a multi-generational deaf family in Queens, New York. At the hospital one day after he was born, Niall failed his first test, a hearing test, to the joy and excitement of his parents. In this engrossing memoir, Niall shares stories, both heartbreaking and humorous, of what it meant to navigate a world built for hearing people. From growing up in a rough-and-tumble childhood in Queens with his big and loving Italian-American family to where he is now, Niall has always been driven to explore beyond the boundaries given him. His book, Deaf Utopia, is more than a memoir. It's a cultural anthem, a proud and defiant song of deaf culture, and a love letter to American Sign Language, Niall's primary language. Through his stories and those of his deaf brothers, parents, and grandparents, Niall opens many windows into the deaf experience. Hey, Niall. Hi.
2: Hi. How are you?
1: We're so happy to be getting the chance to, to uh, talk to you today. Now, Niall, you have done so many projects. You've done so many things. You've got so much underway. What made you decide that you wanted to write a book on top of everything else?
2: Well, you know, it's funny. I think, let's see, it started probably about five, six years ago when I was coming into the industry. You know, I was meeting a lot of people and I started to realize that, you know, my life story was really different than everyone who was around me. You know, I come from a very large deaf family. I'm the fourth generation. And so there's a uniqueness to that because it is incredibly rare. Most of the time, deaf kids are born to hearing parents. In fact, about 90% of our community are. And so I wanted to provide a little bit of insight into what my childhood really looked like. But also, deaf people would always tell me, specifically when I was traveling, about their access to language and to education and to communication and how lacking it was. And I thought, this is a really great opportunity for me to give some of those hearing parents out there a little bit more of a guide, mm. if you will.
0: Well, and your career, you say, when you were getting into the industry, I mean, you won both America's Next Top Model and Dancing with the Stars. How did those wins just propel you forward?
2: Yeah, very unexpected. Incredibly unexpected. <laughs> you know, I never really considered winning America's Next Top Model from the start. I just thought being on the show was really a big enough win in and of itself. But to have the opportunity to leave that catwalk and go straight to Dancing with the Stars to win the Mirror Ball was amazing. You know, I didn't even really have time to breathe (laughs) between the two. But it was thrilling, of course. And it had provided me a platform that was much different than anything I had expected. And, of course, I feel incredibly blessed. Without both of those competition shows, I'm not really sure where my journey would have ended up. I'm not sure if I would really be in the same place. Thanks to those, I got a lot more exposure in Hollywood, and I was able to book a lot more meetings with writers and directors and producers, which was incredible. You know, it really catapulted me, I think, into a very different place.
1: Well, I mean, one of the things you're doing is you're doing all this very exciting executive producing. I have to say, I binge-watched all of Deafview in one night. I stayed up way past my bedtime, because, and I want more and more and more. <laughs> wow. Where are those characters now? Yeah. I, 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 so I am good. on the edge of my seat. Audible. So moving. Loved it. Obviously, these are such compelling stories. How did you make that switch from this reality superstar into kind of this really sort of creative behind the scenes helping to decide what stories get told?
2: Definitely. Definitely. After the reality competitions that I'd been involved with, there were several TV opportunities that I really was hoping to To jump into a little bit more. And I ended up in a lot more meetings with casting directors and writers and producers and directors, like I mentioned. And in those talks, a lot of times it would be leading to a place where I would end up with a role. But often I was met with a little bit of hesitation and it was always like a yes and no. We really want to work with you, but what is deaf experience and what is the culture? So From those discussions, I realized that there was a gap that I needed to fill, right? And in order to fix that sort of lack of representation that I was seeing on screen that started in those rooms, I realized I had to develop and I had to make the Mm. content to give them sort of an example or a prototype that they were able to follow, which is how we ended up with You, right? We wanted to work to represent the multiple layers and the nuance within our community, and that's how I got into storytelling.
0: Well, and you also consult on disability inclusion and, and authentic representation in the entertainment industry. Yeah. So what are your hopes for Deaf representation in Hollywood?
2: It's a great question. I mean, so far, obviously, we're seeing a huge uptick in representation, right? We're seeing Deaf people really take to the screen in a new way, in ensembles, And it's thrilling, of course, for the sort of change that we've wanted to see in Hollywood for so long. But I think when people are investing in uh, film and television about us, they need to be investing in representation behind the camera, right? We need to see more deaf writers, Mm. more directors, more producers, more assistants behind the camera so that that authentic experience is woven through every piece of the story. You know, I think once we have the same representation that we're seeing on screen and behind the camera, we'll really see authenticity.
1: Well, and part of your work, you have a foundation and, of course, the book and all the things that you're doing. Part of it is to educate the hearing community about the deaf and hard of hearing community. What do you most want people to understand?
2: I would say probably the top thing that I'm hoping hearing people take away from all of this is a respect for our culture, right? And that people understand that, in fact, we do have a community right? We have worked for so long to create amazing content and create amazing stories, and hearing people have always wanted to fix us and to find a solution for us, when in fact, we just want to be included at the table. And many of us would never want to be hearing. I myself, you know, I was born deaf into an all-deaf family. I love absolutely who I am, and my identity, and my culture, and everything that it's enriched my life with. So I think it's a major misconception that hearing people assume that we would want to be like them, when in fact, we don't.
1: Well, I mean, just the title of your book, (laughs) Deaf Utopia, a a memoir and a love letter to a way of life. I mean, that comes through just from like you just looking at the spine of the book and you get that. You get that, that message so clearly.
2: Absolutely. That was the biggest reason, honestly, why I wanted to write the book. I really wanted to tell people, hearing people exactly that.
0: And it also comes across in Deaf U, that same idea. Yeah,
1: it really does.
2: Yeah, that was was really the goal. And the fun in making Deaf U was that we actually got to pull Deaf people from all over the spectrum, right? And we were able to include Deaf people in the creation process. We were able to really Deaf utopianize the production process, if you will, right? (laughs) We were able to bring people behind the camera and really... You know, enrich the crew with lived experience. It was fantastic. You know, it didn't make sense for there to only be one deaf person on a show that was really about our culture and our community.
1: Well, and it was just so fascinating. All I mean, just like any reality show, right? It's the, it's the dynamic between the people and the themes that you see repeating in different people's lives and how it comes out. And yeah, I'm on the edge of my seat. Like, I want to know what happens to yes. all those people. <laughs> it's a great soap opera. Yeah. I know, and there's a couple of characters. I'm yeah, yeah. But so before we let you go, Niall, one last question, which is we always ask our guests: Do you have a try this at home that you would suggest to listeners for something that they could do in their own lives to become happier, healthier, more productive, and more creative?
2: Ooh, I'd say obviously stretching every morning. That's a huge mm. one for me. Before I even start oh. my day, I love a good stretch, even before I get my coffee. Honestly, when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is I pound two bottles of water, and I really just start my day refreshed, stretched, and ready to go.
1: Well, you're an athlete, so do you think that comes from your athlete background? Oh,
2: definitely. Definitely. You know, my coach always hammered home the importance of drinking water, you know, during after practice, before all of it. Yeah.
1: Oh, and speaking of Audible, Niall, didn't I read that Audible is about the high school you went to? So that's a, like a very cool connection for people who have read the book and watched the show that definitely. that's the school. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Very cool.
2: So Audible was actually a really fun experience. Um I went to the high school in Maryland and I had a chance to see, you know, their football program, which is fantastic. And funny enough, my school always had a lot of news. that was you know, highlighting sort of how great the football program was and certainly the, the incredible players. But, you know, I was on a news segment years and years and years ago. So now for that to also come home with Audible was really fantastic. And not only that, but Deaf You as well was another yeah. show based in my alma mater because I'm a graduate of Gallaudet University. So through my entire college experience, I would, you know, think to myself in my dorm room, you know, that it was just wild, You know, I would sit there on the couch (laughs) with my friends and and we would, you know, we would talk to other people who were traveling. It's funny. In my dorm room, we actually set up a couch surfing account for the couch that was in my room. So we had travelers (laughs) from all over the world who would come. Uh They had no idea that we signed. They had no idea that we were deaf. They would come and visit and they would always want to extend their trip because we were so fun and we loved to party. And obviously they had a great time, but they were really interested in the culture because it was like they were going to another country within the United States. It was really cool. But yeah, both shows actually uh, are about my alma mater, which is really great. Gallaudet, I felt like really needed a reality TV show. (laughs) Everything from couch surfing to just the the things that college students get up to, I think, are all really fascinating there.
1: Absolutely. Well, thanks so much, Niall. It was so great to get the chance to hear all about all the exciting projects that you've got underway and to read your book. Yeah,
2: definitely. Read my book. Thanks, Niall. (laughs) Read my book. Yes. Awesome. Bye. Thank you. Bye-bye.
1: If you'd like to watch our interview with Niall DeMarco, head over to the YouTube channel. We will put a link in the show notes, or you can go to youtube.com slash Gretchen Rubin.
0: Coming up, I give myself a gift demerit, but first this break.
1: Yes, I love all the colors.
0: Yeah. They make stunning gifts that are actually useful. Weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays. It's the perfect gift for the foodie in your life. So upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code HAPPIER. That's greatjones.com, promo code HAPPIER.
1: Okay, Elizabeth, merits and gold stars. This is an even numbered episode, which means it's your turn for demerit. Gretchen, I'll start by saying my demerit has now been resolved. Yay. But I
0: get the ideal. Yes. In in deciding this would be this week's demerit, I then was like, let me resolve this now. Sarah moved recently, my writing partner and co-host of Happier in Hollywood. She bought a new house and she moved. And I wanted to get her a really nice housewarming gift. And I knew what I wanted to get right away. And yet I didn't get it. Mm. So weeks went by. And yes, do you have to give a housewarming gift the exact day someone moves in? Not necessarily, but it's nice to do it as soon as possible. And it was just one of these things where I just was like, oh, yeah, I need to get that. Oh, yeah, I need to send that to Sarah. Oh, yeah, I'll do that. And then I just wasn't doing it. And that was just bumming me out and, you know, I wanted to do a nice thing. But
1: since declaring this my demerit, yep. I did it. Okay. So I have now sent the guests. Well, this is how demerits are meant to work. They're supposed to inspire us to yes. take action and to, like, fix these. So well done. You've turned a demerit into a gold Thank star. You. Mm-hmm. Yes. How about you? What is your gold star, Gretch? You know, sometimes I find that the hardest things to appreciate are the things of just part of ordinary life, just the things we take for granted. Often when I walk out in the morning, it's like if it's trash day, I'm out there when trash is being picked up sometimes. And I was just thinking, gosh, sanitation workers. This is like a miracle of metropolitan life that they come pick up the trash and when they can't pick up the trash, for like, you know, there's a huge snowstorm or something, it always ends up being like a big issue. And you realize, oh my gosh, it's the greatest thing when they can come and pick up the trash. And so, I just want to give a gold star to all the sanitation workers and all the people who I'm sure there's so many people who like figure out the routes and have to figure out, okay, well, there's a parade coming up. Or, yeah, I mean, I'm sure that there's just innumerable logistics. Yeah. Yes. And it's just one of these things that runs in the background. It's like the it's like the mail, which I think is like miracle. Like every time I mail something, yes. I'm like, this is a miracle. I, yeah. I how does this work yes. so well? So anyway, uh, gold star for them um, because I really appreciate yes. that. The resources for this week, uh, Mother's Day is coming up. And if you are thinking about what gift you might give to a mother in your life or a gift for yourself, the One Sentence Journal from the Happiness Project Collection does make a really great gift. I've heard from a lot of people who have got it and received it as a gift. It's a fun way to keep track of little memories and moments and habits or whatever, kind of you can use it in a lot of different ways. I will post a link to that in the show notes, so you can go to happiercast.com slash shop. Also, friendship, we talk so much about how important friendship is to a happier life, and it may seem like they should kind of happen naturally, but sometimes they do take effort. And I have made a collection of free tools called the Friendship Jumpstart that's got a mm-hmm. seven-day SMS challenge, a worksheet, stuff like that to help you work on your friendships. And that is at happiercast.com friendship. Oh, I love that. And Elizabeth, what are we reading? What are you reading? I am reading
0: Jennifer E. Smith's The Unsinkable Greta James.
1: And I am reading A Vicarage Family by Noelle Streetfield. And that's it for this episode of Happier. Remember to try this at home. Keep refraining from complaining. Let us know if you're trying it and how it's working for you. Thank you to our guest,
0: Niall DeMarco. Read his memoir, Deaf Utopia, and watch the documentary short, Audible, and the reality series, Deaf U. Thanks to our executive producer, Chuck Reed, and everyone at Cadence 13. Get in touch. I'm on Instagram, at Liz Craft, and Gretchen is at Gretchen Rubin. Our email address is podcast
1: at GretchenRubin.com. And if you like the show, right after you go vote for the <laughs> Webbies. Because you'll have your fingers out and on the fly. Um, Go and uh, rate, review, and follow us wherever you listen to your podcast. Until next week, I'm Elizabeth Kraft. And I'm Gretchen Rubin. Thanks for joining us. Onward and upward. Elizabeth, has Adam noticed that you're complaining less?
0: No, I said to him the other day, you know, I'm doing no complaining April. And he's like, no, I didn't know that. So yeah, I asked Jamie um, the same thing.
1: Yeah, which so I don't, I don't know. know. Is that good? Because it suggests right. that we're not complaining so much that it leaves this huge hole in our, in our, in our right. exchanges or I don't know.
0: Or does it mean we're slipping up a lot and not even realizing it? I'm not that's,
1: sure. That's the other possible interpretation. Yeah. <laughs> From the Onward Project.
0: Gretchen, I know from my own experience that baby making is not always simple. There is a lack of knowledge surrounding how to get pregnant. And when you want to conceive, there can be a lack of understanding and resources Frida Fertility is the only one-stop shop that makes it easier to make a baby with a set of solutions for everything from reproductive health to uh, ovulation tracking to conception aid.
1: Frida is simplifying the journey to parenthood with products that help you go from trying to making a baby. Frida products are innovative, easy to use, and accessible, from ovulation prediction to at-home insemination kits. This is Baby Making Simplified. Find Frida Fertility on Amazon, at Target, and select CVS stores near you. That's Frida Fertility, F-R-I-D-A, Frida Fertility.